Yesterday's daf was daf zayin. Today is daf ches, and uh, we'll do a review of yesterday's daf. Get to today's. We'll have in mind anyone, anyone, and everyone who need her for shalema, and uh, uh, get right to the the review of yesterday's daf. We are starting at uh, the words Rebbe Lazar says the reasoning of Reb Shem Gamliel. So just to remind ourselves. Rabbi Shem Gamliel is, um, was of the opinion that the only Adar that really counts for anything is Adar Sheni. Adar Rishon is not the Adar that you can, even the order of the partials must be all in Adar Sheni. And, um, and he says that, uh, and we saw one reason is because of Masmich Geula we want to connect the Geulas to each other. Then we have another explanation. It's from the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, The second. So what does it mean by the second? The second means that, um, uh, that, that, that uh, when there's two Adorim, then you want to celebrate really in the second Ador. So the point being is that there's really two Pesukim according to this. There's Bechol Shana Vishana to tell you that... Uh, we want every year to be, we want a consistency between the years. And uh, also have the Pasuk of Hashemis. Now, the reason why we need both Psukim is because if we would just say, Bechal Shana Vishana, if it would. Uh, is that if we would just have the Pasuk of Bechal Shana Vishana, so then that would mean, uh, you know, maybe. First month, you don't know because Adar it has has a has a two qualities. You know, it's next to Shvat on the one side, and it's next to Nisan on the other side. So it's hard to figure it out from that. Now, um, and if you're going to tell me from Ashenis only and not have the Bechal Shana Shana, I might think that maybe you should do it on both times, uh, and we should celebrate Purim twice in a year that it has two Adars. So that's how to tell us that no, we only celebrate it once. And which one? The second one. Okay. Now, the question is, what does Reb Liezer Berbiosi do with the Pasuk Because after all, according to him, you celebrate in the first Ador. When there's two Adorim, mm-hmm. we celebrate it in the first. So the Gemara answers is that uh, it's like Reb Shmuel Bar Yehuda who says that actually, initially, the holiday of Purim, is like an interesting history to it. It didn't actually take on to all of the lands uh, equally. It started out first in Shushan as a holiday. And then she petitioned, Esther petitioned the Chachamim to have it accepted in Kala Olam Kulo because after all, it was the entire world that was actually affected by the events of Purim. Okay, so, um, and then we brought down Rav Shmuel Bar the whole story of how Esther asked the Chachamim to be established as a holiday for all generations. And uh, they had their reservations about it. The reservations were that you're creating jealousy. Uh, the nations of the world are going to be upset. Um, so then they said, uh, but, uh, but that's already not going to make a difference whether we celebrate Purim or not, because the entire events of Purim are actually in the chronicles of, uh, of Matai and Paras. It's, it's actually... It's, it's historical, okay? So yeah. all those events are there regardless. If somebody's going to want to complain uh, about the Jews, they will complain on the basis of the Chronicles. So it, the holiday is not making it worse. That's what her response was. 
Now, we have another quote. It's Rav, Rav Chanina, Rav Yochanan, and Rav Chaviva. And in Seder Moed, some switch Rav Yochanan out and put Rav Yonasan in. But what they say is this, um, that Esther sent to the Chachamim, I want to be written that Esther, there should be a Megillah's Esther, that should be an official Megillah that needs to be read. I want it to be written part of the Ksufim. Um, for generations. So they said, but uh, the Pasuk in Mishle says that um, I've written you three in triplicate, and that's to tell you triplicate, but not uh, quadruplicate, okay? You don't do it four times. What's, uh, what's supposed to be three times is not supposed to be four times. And therefore, there's three times mentioned Amalek in the Torah, uh, in Tanakh, one in, uh, in Shemos, in uh, Parshas B'Shalach, one in uh, the uh, one in in, in Sefer Dvarim, I think it's Parshas Kiseitze, and the other one is in Nevi'im in the story of Shaul. Okay, so we have the accounts of Amalek mentioned three times. You're not supposed to mention it four times. That's the idea. So they found the pasuk that says it says Zos Sefer, and that tells you Zos is referring to the writing of the Torah as one, so even though there's two parshios in the Torah that discuss it, but that's one. One one uh, source, okay, and therefore um, in Zikaron is the story in Navi, and then Basefer means that there's still room for one more writing of Megillah Esther, okay. So uh, it happens to be that uh, that opinion is uh, disputed amongst the Tanoim. We saw the opinion of uh, Rabbi Yeshua, who says that actually Ksov Zos is only the one written in uh, Sefer Shemos and, and Exodus, and the, and the other one is written in Deuteronomy, and the last one is Nevi'im, and that's Rabbi Yeshua Shita, and therefore, according to him, the Megillah really is not really appropriate to be written, okay? Um, and uh, we'll see what it is exactly. Now, Rabbi Lazar Amudai says, no, Ksov Zos includes both parts of the Torah, both mentionings of the Torah, and then uh, Zikaron is what, referring to the Nevi'im, and Basiver is for the Megillah. That it's an official part of the, of the Kisvei Kodesh, of the Holy Writings. Now, Rabbi Yud, the name of Shmuel, that Esther is not metamiyadayim. Normally, all, um, all uh, basically, parchments of, uh, of, of Sifrei Torah, Sifrei Tanakh, have a Kedusha to it, but in addition to that Kedusha, there's a din toma that applies to the hands. The reason why that exists, it was the Chachamim uh, uh, saw that uh, people were keeping their truma, which is holy, next to the Sifri Kodesh. They would put it in the Aron, and the, and the, bir- the little rodents would come and eat the food, and then they'd come and nibble at the Sifri, at the, at, the, at the parchment also. So in order to avoid that, they said, oh, no, the parchment has... Uh, a din toma on it, so nobody will keep their truma nearby. They don't want it to become tummy, and that is, uh, you know, you know, solve the problem. Now the question is, if you say it's not metami adayim, that means that Esther was not written beruach hakodesh. But Shmuel clearly says that Esther was written beruach hakodesh with uh, divine inspiration. So the Gemara answers: It was said in divine inspiration to be read, but not to be written. Written is a different level, and uh, doesn't have that. Okay. So on that, Rameir says, um, there was a discussion, Rameir says, Kalis ha- happens not, not to be metami adayim, but there's a machlok by Shir Shirim. Rav Yossi says, Shir Shirim is metami adayim, and the machlok is, is by Kalis. Some say yes, some say no. 
And Rabbi Shimon says, Kahelas Bishamay says it's not Mitami Time, Bishil says it is. And uh, so it's a stringency on Basil's part, which is interesting. But Rush Yerushim and Esther, everybody agrees it's Mitami Time. So that's a Kasha on Shmuel, on that the Gemara answers, that uh, he holds like Rabbi Yeshua. There's another Tana that clearly says that uh, there was no official right to write Michaelis Esther, because you're only allowed to write the story of Amalek three times, and the Torah counts for two. So anyway, um, if you hold like Rabbi Shua, so then really Esther is not Metami Yadayim. Now, From Amalek uh, mentioned on the Megillat, it's the sort of mentioned it's uh, a fourth time? Uh, yeah, but it's, that's the exact Machlokas. According to Rabbi Shua, that counts as a fourth time. Therefore, it's not official canon. So, so it's not an official document. Exactly. According to the, everyone else, according to the main opinion that we pass in, it's um, since Torah, no, it is a helik of Tanakh, according to the, the primary opinion. And since the Torah is one book, so therefore the fact that it's written twice in that one book only counts as one. Mm-hmm. And then Navi counts as two. Mm-hmm. And then Miguel Sester is the third time, and it's perfect. That's the, okay. that's, the, uh, that's the opinion that holds the day, okay, that we pass it. Okay. Uncharedness that Torah defined. Huh? Uncharedness that Torah defined was in the Tanakh, correct? Hmm? What, com- what encompasses the Tanakh? Yes, exactly. Uncharedness that Torah, right? Well, yes, they were the one who officially established. Decided this is the Tanakh. Right, exactly. Okay. Okay, um, okay, we learned in Abraisa, Rabbi Shimba Manasya said that Kahelas is not Metami Adayim because it is the wisdom of Shlomo. Um, and they said, uh, what do you mean? There's a lot more wisdom. He had uh, 3,000 Mishal, 3,000 parables. But, uh, and he said, don't add on to my words. Well, obviously, um, he said many, but you could write whatever you want. No, what he wrote in Kahelas is very, very specific, and therefore it is, and that's what actually also carries the Dekelis, is also part of the Kisve Kodesh. Now, um, the Gemara brought down um, a, a, a Brisa that discussed how we know that Esther was written, Peruch Kodesh. How do we know, where do we see from Megillus Esther that it was written with divine inspiration? Okay, so, number one, we first saw Rabbi Lezer's opinion is that the Pasuk says, Vayomer Haman Belibo. Haman said in his heart. Now, how could he say something in his heart that we would know about it? It's what his heart. Okay, it must be that it was with Ruach HaKodesh. Okay. Kiva says that it's from a different passage. It says that Esther was no sechein be'ene kol That she found favor in the eyes of anybody who saw her. Now, how could you know that? Unless it was written by Ruach HaKodesh. So that's another source. Rameir says... Esther is with Ruach HaKodesh. How do I know? Because it says that the matter was made known to Mordechai. How can you say the matter was made known? Who? How did he know? It must be with Ruach HaKodesh. Rabbi Yossi ben Dermaskis says that it was with Ruach HaKodesh because it says that the Jewish people, after they fought against their enemies, it says they didn't touch the booty. Uh, now, how would you know that? That's something that you can't keep track of very far, remember, there was 127 different countries that were under the rule, rulership of Ahasuerus. 
So how did he know what's in the 125th country, what's going on over there? So it must be that it was Ruth Ruach HaKodesh. Shmuel said that all those Tanoim, had I been there, I would have said a little different answer. The way I, it's, we know that it's with Ruach HaKodesh, and that was based on, um, it says, Kimu v'kiblu hayutim, Kimu masha kiblu kfar. No, Kimu, kimu I'm sorry, Kimu v'kiblu means they were mekayim, they fulfilled an high masha kiblu lamata, meaning that God uh, accepted and certified that which the Jewish people accepted as Purim as a holiday. Now that's only knowable if you have insider information, if you have Ruach HaKodesh. Okay. Now, Rabbi says, every one of these is flaw, uh, flawed, flawed answers, except for Shmuel's. Brings down, why? Let's go through one by one. First we have Rabbi Yezes, who said that, uh, Haman said in his art, that who would, who would want to uh, honor more than me? And how do we know that that's what he said in his heart? Well, of course that's what he said in his heart. Based on simple psychology, you could come to that conclusion. After all, um, he, uh, he, he, first of all, he was the most important person. That's number one. Number two, what he said, the house should reward him, was clearly something that was focused on something that he himself would have wanted for himself. It's clear just from adding two and two together that that was his intent. So it's pure logic that that's how we know that. So it's not necessarily Ruach HaKodesh. Second was uh, the the one of uh, uh, Rabbi Kiva, who says that it was no she was no Whoever saw Esther, she found favor in everyone's eyes. How come? Well, it happens to be that Rabbi Lazar says that every every people claimed her as a member of their nation. If they you know people from Persia said, oh, she's clearly Persian. Look at her beautiful Persian qualities. The people from different countries all said that she's from their country. Now, you won't say that unless you find her beautiful, find her... Uh, so that's itself what it means. Okay. It's not necessarily Rachel Kodesh. Rameyer um, said that how it was made known to Mordechai. Well, how, now that could be due to his, the fact that Mordechai was an expert linguist. He was, uh, he was proficient in all 70 languages. And um, and he understood the, this foreign language that the big son spoke, and that's what that's about. So again, it doesn't prove that he was known through Rach Hakodesh. The last uh, the last answer we saw, which was Rav Yosef Ben Dermaskis, which is uh, could be that the, every country sent uh, <coughs> notice to the to the hmm. to the king, and obviously Esther was in the you know was with the king. Um, about what happened in each of the countries. And they said that they didn't touch the visa. So um, that's how it was known. It doesn't have to be miraculous. It doesn't have to be with, with divine inspiration. But Shmuel, knowing what's happening in heaven, that clearly is uh, something that remains. And that's what uh, they say. You know, one good sharp pepper is better than a whole basket full of gourd that's not, uh, not very strong flavor. Now, Rabbi Yossi says a different source. Um, he says, the Pasuk says that the, these days of Purim will never pass from amongst the Jews, meaning we will always, forever, celebrate Purim. Now that itself is a future prediction. You couldn't do that without divine inspiration. That's number one. And Rav Nachman brings another source. It says, V'zichram will never, we will, the memory of these events will never be gathered in from this seed. So that also, again, it's an expression of that in the future, the holiday of Purim will never go away, 
that's uh, that only works if there's Ruach HaKodesh. So again, those are also two good sources. Next topic was the gifts to the poor. And we saw too, there have other, you know, these besides from Mikro Megillah, we have the mitzvah Mishloach Manos of giving gifts uh, to, to your fellow man, Ishla not necessarily somebody who's poor. And we also have Matanos of Yonam. So there's a, there's a number. If you look at the words, it says Mishloach Manos. So you're giving two portions of food. A man to his friend. So you're giving to one person two portions of food. That's what Mishloch Manos is. At least two portions. That's all that's required. Because Mishloch is plural. No, no. Manot Manot is plural. Manot is plural. Exactly. Manot is two portions to one person. That's the minimum requirement. You don't have to give... People give Shlach Manos, they give to... A whole basket. A whole bunch of... No, a whole basket and to a bunch of people. The only requirement is to give to one other person um, two, at least two things. That's okay. it. Those are ready to eat stuff. Yeah, ready to eat food. And matanos levyonim is gifts, plural, to the poor. Okay, so that's at least two gifts to two people, meaning two poor people, each receiving a gift. That's the requirement for that. Rabbi Yudin Messiah once sent to Rabbi Oshia a uh, very nice lachmanos. He had two manos. It was a third-born calf, um, a big piece of meat, a slab of meat of that of the third-born calf, and a barrel of wine. And he said, "Wow, that is a true fulfillment of uh, of mishloach manos, because that's uh, two things. It counts. The wine it counts as one, and the meat counts as the other, and that's the real fulfillment of that." So we have an interesting, some interesting side stories. Rabbi sent to Mari Barmar in the hand of Abaye a uh, basket full of dates together with a cup full of specially uh, oven-dried uh, flour that's uh, like extra sweet, sweetened flour because they, if, they, if you dry it before it ripens in the field, it, uh, it maintains a certain sweetness. Anyway, um, bottom line is... Um, um, so um, Abai says he's going to say well this uh, Rabbah is uh, started out as a, a plain old villager and uh, now he's in a position he's a Rosh Hashiva he's someone of importance and he still never left his ways of a villager because you're not sending him anything too fancy so he didn't he, wasn't, he, he didn't think that was such a good uh, gift then uh, Mari Barmar sent back um, a, a basket full of ginger and a cup full of uh, long pepper, which is, you know, sharp. So he says, he sent you sweet stuff. You're sending him back sharp stuff? Anyway, it's just an expression. Abaye said that uh, when I left uh, Rabba's house originally to go to Ramari Barmar to deliver the Shlachmanas, I was full. When, they brought, when I came there, they served me 60 plates with 60 different types of uh, dishes, and I ate 60 portions, and the last one was called Slikedar, and it was so delicious, even though it was after we had 59 other portions, um, I wanted to eat the plate afterwards. And that's what people say. He says people who are hungry, is a poor person so hungry, he doesn't even know how hungry he is. Or, there's always room for good food. Okay, that's the idea. There's always room for dessert, there's always room for delicious food. Now, uh, what they used to do to fulfill Mishloch Manos is that they each prepared their su'uda 
and then they just changed it. Each one, each one transferred their meal to the other person, and that was the fulfillment. Rava says a famous idea that a person is obligated to drink a wine on Purim until he doesn't know the difference between cursed be Haman and Baruch Adelo Yada. Right. Until he doesn't know. And then the Gemara tempers it with the story, you know, don't go too far at this. And that's what it means. Rabbi and Rabzeira were having a Sudas Purim, uh, got drunk, and Rabbi ended up killing Rabzeira. And the next morning, he davened to bring him back to life. And the next year, he said, why don't we celebrate together? And Rabzeira says, thanks, but no thanks. I'll pass on this time. Can't rely on miracles. Okay. Now, Rava said that uh, if you eat the meal at night, it doesn't fulfill your obligation, and it has to be eaten in the day. As the Pesach says, you may mishta v'simcha. Okay. Um, well, what happened was, is that uh, Rav Ashi was, before, was sitting in front of Amemar, and the rabbis weren't coming, and it's like, where are the rabbis? So he said, well, they're, maybe they're busy with their su'udas porim. So he says, oh, but why couldn't they have the meal at night? So he said, didn't you hear that Rabbi says you can only have the poor meal in the day? So once he heard that, he learned it from him 40 times to make sure that he had it in his pocket, that he would never forget it. All right, that brings us to the other Mishnayos related to Ein Bain. There's no difference but, okay? So the first Ein Bain is there's no difference between Yom Tov and Shabbos except for Ochel Nefesh. Mark explains that that is to the exclusion of machshire ochel nefesh, that neither of them are allowed to, if it's something, let's say, you need to sharpen the knife to be able to prepare the meat for, for, for yomtev meal, that you would not be allowed to do according to uh, even on yomtev, which is not like Rabbi Yudu, says that you are allowed to do that. What's the explanation of this argument? So Tanakama says, when it says, that alone, so who is an exclusionary term to tell you that you're not allowed to do machshirim, not a preparatory things to help you with your ochal nefesh. You can't fashion a pot to cook the food. Okay? Um, and uh, Rabbi Uda argues, he says, no, when it says lochem, it means for all of your needs. Okay? <laughs> Um, so how does the Tanakhama deal with the Lechem? The Lechem is not to coming to be uh, to extend it to all needs, but the opposite, it's to limit it. You're only allowed to do Ochel Nefesh for yourself. You're not allowed to put Ochel Nefesh for a Gentile or for your pets, okay? Um, and, you know, so you can't cook food for uh, the animals or for a, a Gentile. Um, it's a, uh, so that's, uh, that's what that's about. And um, what, does, um, what does Rabbi Yehuda do with the who? He says they're both true. It's who and it's Lochem. Meaning, if it's a machshir that you could have taken care of before uh, Yom Tif, then you then you have no right to do that on Yom Tif. But if it's something that only came about on Yom Tif, meaning you dropped the knife and now the knife is, is not able to be used, you know, like it lost its sharpness, so then... Um, then, then you would be allowed to do that on on Yom Tov itself. Okay. You're right. Yes. This Ein Bain stuff. Uh, in the previous mission, started it right. That was the first Ein Bain. Correct. Right. Right. So, why are the rabbis choosing to change topics and get going That's this. That's the nature of all Mishnayos. Is that once we discuss. Uh, one, one, you know, two things that are very similar, but for a one, one difference or very small differences, 
So we just uh, we list all of them. It's flow of right. So you're right. We're totally we're totally getting off topic now. But that's that's normal. That does it all the time. Yeah, no, a lot of times that's how much nice work. Once we that right, once we're maintaining that commonality, that's 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 it. We do it in Gemara all the time. Everything right, exactly. We also do that with with the Gemara also. That's what Yudu was saying. Many times we quote a quote from a rabbi. Like this rabbi heard yeah, from that yeah, rabbi, and then right. we quote all the quotes from that rabbi. Then we keep going. It's a, uh, it's also it's helpful once you because you can memorize all the different aimbains, and that's a way of like getting the information in your head. Okay. All right. right, which brings us to the next one aimbain. Okay, if you if we can continue, okay, <laughs> next aimbain. Um, the next aimbain is. Uh, and besides for the fact that it's a short enough Masechta, anyway, you yeah. want an even shorter? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, uh, there's no difference between Shabbos and Yom Kippur, except for um, uh, the, the, when a person uh, willfully transgresses Shabbos, so then there is capital punishment. <clears throat> the Bezdin will stone him to death if there's proper warning um, and, uh, and witnesses. Um, as opposed to uh, when it comes to uh, the, the Yom Kippur, the somebody willfully transgresses Yom Kippur by doing malach on Yom Kippur, um, then it will only be kares. It's in the hand of God. God, there's an excision, a punishment. Huh? Yom Kippur is more lenient than Shabbos. What do you mean Shabbos by lenient? Shabbos is stoning. Right. Yom, Yom Kippur is kares by God. Exactly. Right. That's what the Mishnah is saying. Right. Now, what, what's, uh, so the Gemara's point is, by, by saying this, there's a very interesting halacha, halachic um, thing that they, sh- that they are the same, which is a Kiddush, which is normally that when a person transgresses something that's a capital crime, and he in addition does something that's a civil uh, matter, where he damaged somebody's property, or he stole something in the same time, so the halacha is, we say, we give him only the, the, you're only culpable for the life sentence, and you don't have to deal with the monetary issue Just at all. Life sentence? Do you remember your also, last cycle? What was the example? The arrow, shoots right. the guy, it penetrates his shirt, destroys the shirt. You don't have to, him. it also kills him, right. So so you don't have to pay the for the repair of the have, shirt. You don't have to pay for the shirt. And the cleaners, nothing. No, right, exactly, that's you know, a good example. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example, thing. right. You remember, oh, it was a couple of years ago that Yom Kippur was on Shabbos, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, so if you transgress Shabbos on Yom Kippur, well, it's the that's, same. Isn't that what it's talking about? Right? No, we're talking no, about comparing one to the other, not the same day. Then, uh, then there really is no days. difference. Yeah. Even when they're separate days, there's a diff- There's only difference between them is how is the punishment meted out by God or by man. But uh, it, they both have that, that quality of not having to pay when it's together with a, a, a monetary obligation. Anyway, bottom line is, this is following the opinion of Rabbi Nechunah ben Akana, who says Yom Kippur is the same as Shabbos as far as that goes. Now, um, so the Gemara brought down an interesting halacha, fascinating, uh, a very relevant halacha. It says that, that in the Mishnah, it says that El Chavikrisos, if you give lashes, in, um, that punishment of lashes 
absolves him from receiving the kares by God. It frees him from any excision, which is uh, a good way out. It's a very good way out, exactly. And um, and uh, so and that's based on the pasuk. It says v'nikla necha that when gets the lashes, he he automatically becomes your brother. He, he's no longer he's he's no longer is separated. It only for certain crimes. It's and for kares, cases of where the punishment should have been excision, meaning where he gets cut off by God, and God will, he'll, uh, whatever has the punishment, that he dies young, etc. The receiving of the lashes frees, removes that from him. That's what we're saying. And um, that's Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel's position. And um, Rabbi Yechonin says, not everybody agrees with that. Some people say that it's not true. Um... And uh, Rabbi says, isn't our Mishnah not agreeing with that? Because our Mishnah says there's no difference between Yom Kippur and Shabbos, except who, how is the Mezid get punished? Bidei Adam or Bidei Shamayim? And well, according to what we just said, if your Kares gets lashes, then it's Bidei Adam also. So That's then, the best in carrying out like the punishment. Like you know, if you get away with murder, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have to face God. Yeah, well, that is true. That is always true, yes. There are many. God has. God. God. Even though we can't carry out the punishment, because we didn't have the witnesses or what, that doesn't matter. Hashem always can punish, but the, it's the other way around. When we do the punishment, so then God accepts our punishment, and He won't do any other punishment. That's what's happening here. We gave lashes for for somebody who transgressed Yom Kippur. Those lashes basically absolve him from receiving kares, even though he did it willfully. That's what's. That's what we're saying now. Um, uh, the, our mission seems to disagree with that. So Rav Nachman says, not necessarily true. It could be our mission is going like Rav Yitzchak, who says that there is no Malchus in any case of Karis. And that's one explanation. Uh, uh, we saw the source. Basically, the, there, there's a prohibition of a person uh, having relations with his own sister. And it specifically states that it gets Karis there. Now, that was extra, because we would have anyway known that the punishment is Karis. Mm-hmm. The fact that it singles out Karis <laughs> is to tell you that there's only Karis. Lashes is not an appropriate punishment. So then we cannot carry out lashes in all cases of Karis. Um, so that's that opinion. It could be our mission is going like that opinion. It doesn't disprove Rav Hanan bin Gamliel. However, um, Rav Ashi says it's a more simple answer is that really you could say is that it could be going like the Rabbanon. The difference is the primary uh, punishment for uh, Shabbos is Bidei Adam. The primary punishment for Yom Kippur is not lashes. It is Kares, which is Bidei Shemayim. All right. Anyway, that's